Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Cast of Kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And together we're reading book one from George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire entitled A Game of Thrones. Find more episodes of this podcast at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. You can always email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. And also find us at Facebook uh, at Facebook.com slash acastofkings. Uh, so... What we do here on this podcast is uh, typically during the normal show, we will recap each week's episode with Joanna having read the book and me not having done so. But we're doing a season one rewatch and uh, watching every episode from season one. And this time I am reading the book as well. And we're making copious amounts of book comparisons. Uh, for this episode, we're going to be recapping uh, season one, episode nine, entitled The Baylor. Uh, we will be spoiling everything through the HBO original series Game of Thrones, um, but stuff that has happened in the books and hasn't happened in the show yet, we will not be spoiling. So those are the rules for today, and uh, I think we can get right into it. Now, John Robinson, when we started doing uh, this podcast, we, we banked a lot of the episodes of this we podcast because uh, I was afraid that uh, given that we it's more than just watching a, an episode each week, uh, that we would both need to read... Uh, the book chapters along with it. And that takes like several hours uh, just to do all that. Uh, I was afraid that we wouldn't be able to maintain that pace every single week because, you know, we're both busy people. Uh, and I was right because as we're recording this, December 2nd, this is the night that we're releasing <laughs> this week's episode. Uh, so uh, we finally had, you know, time has caught up with, uh, with us and uh, now we're just doing it in real time. And uh, fortunately, we only have two more episodes left, so we're not going to be late for those two episodes. But uh, yeah, uh, we are now doing this in real time. And one of the benefits of that is like the, the feedback, which has always been one of our favorite parts of this podcast, has finally caught up with uh, the podcast episodes. Uh, so we recapped season one, episode eight last week. And as usual, got a lot of emails, got a lot of tweets, got a lot of Facebook posts. Uh, so, Joanna, I think there's a few that you want to highlight here, right? Yeah, uh, I, I want to knock out a few. First of all, uh, I, I mentioned last week that I wasn't sure whether or not Septimordain was dead, or I thought probably she was dead. This is, you know, Sansa's sort of nanny. And then and then a lot of people pointed out that uh, Joffrey shows Sansa her head on a pike in a later episode. So Septimordain, definitely dead. Uh, <laughs> And then I said something about how where Ned was sitting in the black cells didn't look an awful lot like where Marjorie and Cersei, Cersei are this season. And I wasn't sure if they were in the same place. That's because, of course, they aren't. Ned is in the black cells, which is I think is where Tyrion is. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. And when he's in jail and Cersei and Marjorie are over in the Sept, of course, because they are taken sort of prisoner by right. uh, by the Sparrows. Right, the High Sparrow, yeah. Right, so they're in a different place. Um uh, I mentioned some thoughts on John burning his hand, and John talks a lot about burning his hand in the section of the reading that we did this week, uh, and the notion of secret Targaryens, which we'll actually talk about again, uh, because we met a secret Targaryen, Aemon Targaryen, this week. Mm. Uh, and I, all I want to say, I just want to confirm that this is just... All of this is speculation. Some people thought I was confirming or denying anything. I wasn't. I was just bringing up thoughts. I know so, no so to, more. So to recap, right, uh, John burned his hand, thus, yeah. thus dismissing the idea that he could be a Targaryen, theoretically. Well, right? some people think it's an indication. I'm saying some people think it's an indication. I don't know. Uh, there are plenty of reasons why you think it might not be. But 
I, I would. I guess I'd also say that this is a show that retconned uh, a dead child out of, you know, uh, Cersei and Robert Baratheon's storylines. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, is it possible that they could do the same thing with John's hand? Or I guess John's hand burning was in the book. Yeah, and it's so, even more, I think, pronounced in right. the book. So, so it's un- it's unlikely that they would retcon that out. Yeah, I I don't, but I don't know that it means what people think it means. Is what I'm saying. Mm. I just don't know, honestly. Gotcha. Uh, secondly, I I think we both talked about how maybe we didn't like the tribesmen. Tyrion's tribesmen didn't end up being important or whatever. And and several people pointed out to us when and where exactly they are in episodes and how it's mentioned why they leave and all this sort of stuff. So the tribesmen uh, are tracked. In the books. And it, I mean, I think it is kind of important for the role they play in this episode and the reading for this week. So, you know, they, they are important. Um, only two more things. <laughs> One is... Um, so we, we speculated last week that uh, that George R. R. Martin might have changed his mind about who really killed John Aaron. Right. Uh, and that he, he had started out with it being, you know, Cersei and... Uh, uh, John Aaron's squire, and then ended up at a place where Lysa was the killer, right? Lysa and Littlefinger, right? Right. Um, and, and some people said that they felt that that was strongly that that was not the case. And I will say that the reading this week sort of supports that idea that Martin was foreshadowing Lysa because something that you pointed out, Dave, a couple episodes ago was that John Aaron was planning to send uh, his son to be uh, fostered by Stannis, uh, not Tywin, as as sort of the, the word was. And Kat learned this when she was at the Eyrie. And then it's mentioned again right. in this chapter when she's talking to Walder Frey. There's Walder, all this complicated who's adopting who. Yeah, and he's like very emphatic right. that 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 uh, Robin or Robert, uh, as he's called in the book and the show, was going to go to Stannis. And... Um, I was reading a footnote on a on a site today, and and it pointed out that um, in later when Lysa reveals that she's the one who killed John Aaron, she reveals that her motivation was because he wanted to send her son away. Right. Uh, I don't think that's really covered super well in the show, or it might be, but it I, don't, I don't think so at all. For sure, but it like, definitely is in the book. Right. So if if I mean, it seems kind of awkward the way this is shoehorned in twice, where Cat like it learns again and again about where. John Aaron wanted to send his son. And so if that's if that's George R. R. Martin's way of foreshadowing Lysa's motivation, that could be evidence in the text. So, so given that, then is all the Sir Hugh stuff with Cersei that is just a red herring then? That's what that I mean, interpretation a, means, right? A bit of a red herring, but also I think we talked about last week that Sir Hugh would have had information about Cersei. So she still would have had a reason to want to get rid of him, even if he didn't help her with a murder. He either knew that Joffrey was not the true heir to Robert Baratheon or uh, maybe knew information that could get him to that point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the last thing, I'll, I will, I'll save the bulk of it for the end, but um, I don't know. We were talking about we were talking about cliffhangers, death question mark cliffhangers on the show and um, how you felt like they didn't do it that much. Uh, I, I actually well, don't remember the context I, of this. I think the, the comment that I had made was uh, that typically the show won't make you think someone is dead um, if they're like if they're actually alive. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if, if it makes you think that they're dead, they're typically dead uh, for the most part. Right. And I and – I, 
mildly disagreed with you, but then uh, some people commented that this is George R. R. Martin's favorite thing to do, and one of his favorite things to do in the book. And I think that's quite true. If you read through the book, there are so many misleading cliffhangers at the end of the chapter. And the last page of our reading this week had a cliffhanger about Arya uh, that is not in the show. But but the way Arya is left, you think. That Maybe she's been harmed in some grievous way or something, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so I agree that George R. R. Martin loves a death fake out cliffhanger. So, okay, those are all my notes. Yeah, um, but I don't know that that's true of the show. Like, like in the show, those sections that you're talking about from the book, you know, I can think of two off the top of my head, right? Like the one with Arya that you just mentioned, where the chapter in the book ends and you don't know what happened to Arya. And then there's one that you mentioned from years from now uh, with uh, Jamie and whether he is killed, right? But in fact, in the show, we find out he just had his hand cut off, you know? Right, or um, Tyrion. What about Tyrion? Didn't you think Tyrion was maybe dead when he was in the Battle of Blackwater? Right. Some, you know, some guy sliced him down. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And so, uh, well, th- well, that's one – I mean, I guess that's kind of that's, – that's one example of when uh, the show actually – the person still is alive. But we found out the next episode. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so and 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 brand two following the tower. I think the show does it very sparingly, and the book does it a lot. Does that? Well, I, my my point being that yeah, in in the book, when you translate those book elements to the show, you find out that those people aren't are not in fact dead. And then also, typically, if if the show is going to fake you out, you find out the truth in the next episode. So it's a very a very uh, you know unusual for someone like. Serial uh, Pharrell, who we haven't seen in years, to then just come back. Or Benjamin, yeah. Exactly. Um, Poss- possibly. Possibly. Uh, you could argue what? Uh, Don- Barak Dondarian, maybe? Uh, that's arguably one where he comes back from when we thought he might not be alive anymore. You know, I don't know. Uh, but it was, a very, it was a very small point, and it is interesting to reflect on how the show and the book handle cliffhangers. Uh, the book seems to relish them much more than the show. Uh, yeah, I don't. And, and, and in the show, they're resolved very quickly afterwards. Yeah, I don't think the point is to that you're necessarily completely wrong, but just <laughs> to, let me to, let me etch that down <laughs> somewhere. I don't think the point is that you're completely wrong. No, David. I said necessarily. I had two hedge words in there. <laughs> mm, Nece- nice, necessarily completely wrong. Um, but that you know, this is a tick of Martin's, which it is. Right. So, right. Yeah. All right. Well, so thanks for all your feedback, and uh, yeah. sorry that we couldn't address it more along the way. Uh, longtime listeners will know that's definitely something we do every week during the regular season, and we will plan to do that uh, for the upcoming season. Uh, so, anyway. The Facebook, the Facebook page has been really fun with this rewatch, so please, uh, you know, like us over on Facebook <laughs> to join the discussion. But keep it spoiler-free. I had to delete one comment uh, this week, but you, most of you guys know the rules. Keep it spoiler-free. Keep it spoiler free, and I would also suggest that uh, you use the Facebook options to like get notifications when we post new episodes, because otherwise uh, you might not see it when we post it, because uh, Facebook might decide that you you shouldn't see it. So uh, do check that out and and get notifications at Facebook.com/slash A Cast of Kings. You can always write into us also at A Cast of Kings at Gmail.com. So Joanna, we come to it at last, season one, episode nine, Baylor, directed by Alan Taylor. Very talented guy uh, who has done many Game of Thrones episodes. Uh, and Very talented TV director. I oh, really? want to You're put that pen You're uh, not a fan of uh, Terminator Genesis or Thor The Dark World, I guess. I am not. I am not. I join you in, in your lack of fandom for those. Yeah. Um, but this so, is a well-directed episode. It's funny. I was, I mean, I was watching it 
and I noticed a stylistic flair that I thought was really nice. And I don't usually look up the director in the middle of the episode, but I looked it up and I was like, oh, Alan Taylor. I really wish you would stick to television because <laughs> I think you're good at it. This is not a well-directed episode, Jonah. I would say it is exceptionally yes, well-directed. that's I true. mean, this, this episode is great right from the very first shot, uh, which there's a great symmetry between yeah. the opening of the episode and the end of the episode, right? Where yeah. uh, all you hear is Ned's breathing. And it's a great passage of the book, too, where it's so dark that you can't tell the difference between day and night. And you open your eyes, you close your eyes, it's no different. And the only thing Ned can hear is the sound of his own breathing. Um, it's beautifully rendered here. I mean, you know, there's pages and pages of this in the book. And he has maybe 15 seconds to convey that idea in the show. Uh, and does it beautifully with sound and with just this like macro close up on Ned's eye when Varys kind of lights a torch. Uh, such an effective and beautiful way of of opening this episode. You're absolutely right. I lied. This is when I looked up who directed the episode. Like there was one shot where it was you know it's just the torch and Varys and Ned and like you the see way the torch the in his lit. eye reflected yeah. in his eye. It's it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, that being said, the scene that actually plays out is mostly a repeat from what happened last week, right? Uh, with Varys saying, hey, what's my role? I want to keep the peace, blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I, I like the scene. I thought it was great. Uh, and certainly new things happen. But, you know, a lot of it is well-trodden ground of what is Varys's motivation? What's he trying to do? Trying to keep the peace. And as a result, he's telling Ned, hey, uh, you know, bend the knee, confess your crimes, go home save your daughter. Uh, great no. scene, especially because, you know, Ned clearly doesn't give a crap at this point about his own life, right? Uh, he, he, he will die with his honor. That's the type, the type of person Ned is. But when Varys brings up his, you know, Sansa, that's when Ned's like, well, you know, they shouldn't have to suffer for my nobility, right? What are your thoughts on the scene? Yeah, I love how you said Ned doesn't really care, uh, like give give a crap about his life right now, uh, and the way that that is conveyed in the uh, in the book and in the show, which is a lot more eloquent. Which is, you think my life is something sacred to me? I love that line from Ned, beautifully delivered by Sean Bean. Sean Bean's so great in this episode, and. Um, I mean, the things that we did get in this that uh, we don't get in the book is we get Varys's a backstory from Varys a little bit. This idea that he was brought up by actors is very interesting to me. Um, but and that uh, like everyone knows their role, right? Yeah, that's that's the point of that story is everyone knows their role and he knows his role and he knows how to play a part. Right. And um, this scene is 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 mirrored not just in the end but also in the conversation between Eamon and John, which we'll get to, where Maester Eamon says, uh, "What is it? Love is the death of duty, basically." Right. Uh, and it's uh, Ned's love for Sansa, for his daughter, who is the who is the pawn in this particular game of chess, uh, means he has to relinquish his honor. It's not for his own life; he doesn't care. But it's because uh, Cersei crucially has Sansa in her grasp. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a really affecting scene. In the book, we get some interesting. You know, Ro- uh, Ned hallucinates King Robert being there. And he also sort of has some fever, you know, because his leg is like infected and putrefying. And uh, <laughs> he also has some sort of fever dreams about his sister and the tourney at Harrenhal and all this stuff. And uh, I was I was reading it and thinking, huh, I wonder if they ever thought, should we do this? Should we have, you know, um, what is it, Mark? I forget the name of the actor who plays uh, Robert Baratheon. But, uh, you know, should we have him 
um, you know, in a in a sort of fever dream, talking to Ned, and and I I think it's better that they didn't, but but it would have been interesting. They've generally yeah. stayed away from vision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To but, to the show's credit, I think. Yeah, uh, Mark Addy is who you're thinking. Mark Addy, thank yeah. you, thank you. Who looks you, very different on his IMDb page <laughs> than he does in the show. I mean, Full Monty. He's he was on Full Monty. Um, but yeah, I. I think you're right. I think it's better that they stayed away from from the hallucination, but it, I could almost see it as I was reading it. It's very evocatively written, so definitely, yeah. Uh, so great scene. Why don't we talk about uh, all the stuff that goes on at uh, the wall this okay. week? Um, so uh, I think just a couple scenes, right? Uh, yeah. One is that the, the aftermath of uh, the uh, attack and John burning his hand. Uh, Commander Mormont gives his sword to John, which is like a very meaningful moment, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think, you know, it's that he's saying to him, hey, one day you'll have the opportunity to use this. You're not just going to fetch my slippers every day. Do you yeah. Know? Yeah. It's saying, like, hey, you're going to get to use this one day. I'm investing in you. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, and I was very touched. And it was a sword that was meant for Sir Jorah before he became a slaver. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah, the jar actually had it and just left it behind when he fled. Um, yeah, it's very touching. And in the book, uh, John talks a lot about ice, his dad's sword, and it made me doubly mad that Tywin just melted down Ned Stark's sword. You know, it's just uh, the the idea of the of the family Valyrian steel blade and how important it is. And of course, we find out this season how important the Valyrian steel blade was uh, for John. It's going to be his greatest weapon maybe uh but yeah it's very touching and just sort of john who's always longed to feel like the legitimate son of someone to get commander mormont's sword that was meant for his son is is very meaningful yeah for sure uh as though it's kind of a surrogate father situation right that yeah he i mean he had a father with ned but uh now he has like this new surrogate family and uh uh, he's doing pretty well so far. I, I'm sure that ends very well for him. Um, so, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And I liked I liked that uh, Mormont replaced the bear pommel with a wolf pommel for John. That was really, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful sword, you know. And you, and you like, it, you know, Kit Harrington has been wearing it ever since, basically. So, yeah. Uh, he also sends Alistair Thorne uh, uh, far away right, mm-hmm. to, to put some distance between them, which is very smart. I thought it was a bit comical when the, you know, occasionally you kind of get the feeling that these parts that are played by these older people were written for children, and I feel like we got a little bit of that when they they brought on the sword. They're like, "Hey, show us the sword!" Oh my gosh, this is so cool, guys! You know, like it just uh, the, when his buddies in the Night's Watch are yeah so psyched about the sword and like running around in the background playing with it. Uh, it felt mildly silly to me. Did, was that just me? Did you pick up on that? Uh, I don't know. I got I got kind of touched by it because John John's smiling and he feels special and part of part of the great like and also the fact that a lot of them 
helped with the sword. Like, I think maybe that's just in the book, but the fact that like Sam got part of the rubies for the hilt and uh, someone else like carved the pommel for him, like that they knew about the sword before he did, but didn't tell him. And they were all excited that he got it. I, I liked that, but you're right. It, it makes a little more sense for children to be chanting the sword, the sword. The sword. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess keep getting stuck in this alternate universe where I imagining like teenagers playing these roles and, what a different show that would have been like i think it's referred to in these chapters that like theon is supposed to be 14 yeah you know and wow that would have been very different kind of show and i mean game of thrones did a real like lucked the fuck out with their kid (laughs) actors for the most part you know like Maisie williams and sophie turner are amazing but you could have a show like i would say i don't know if you've watched any of into the badlands into the badlands is just weighted down by a shitty teenage actor. So, um, you know, a shitty yeah. a, sh- a teenage actor is is a is a big risk, you know. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh anyway, what else? Uh so Sam tells John that Rob is marching to war against the Lannisters. Uh and John's inclination at this point is I got to leave the wall. I got to go fight alongside my uh what brother is that? Is that the half brother, right? Whatever the term is. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's what leads to this confrontation between him and Maester Aemon, uh, where, like you said, love is the death of duty. Uh, and John's trying to say, like, you couldn't, he's like a kid, you couldn't possibly understand what I'm going through right now. <laughs> yeah. And then Maester Aemon j- just drops this knowledge bomb on John <laughs> yeah. that he is a, he is Aemon Targaryen. Yeah. Right? Secret Targaryen. Boom. Yeah. Uh, And it's a big reveal in the book. I feel like it's much more of a big deal in the book. And I think even when you're watching... It feels like a pretty big deal in the show, to be honest with you. I don't know. Well, I don't know if people, when when they're watching it for the... Like, in season one, if they know what a big deal it... I don't know. Anyway, yes. It's great. The actor playing Aemon Targaryen does a great job when he's talking about, you know, all the uh, Targaryen children who were murdered, which once again sort of reflects back on Sansa, like the Stark children being in danger. It's like the Lannisters will kill children. And I think Varys even brings that up in the cells. He's like, they killed the Targaryen babies. They will definitely kill your daughter. Like, no joke about it. So, yeah. Uh, So, I think uh, Aemon's speech is dissuasive to Jon, right? Like, uh, we know that Jon doesn't flee and, and go try and help his family. Uh, and so, I think he does flee in the next episode and is convinced to return by his brothers, but we'll see. <laughs> I don't know about that, Joanna. <laughs> I feel like you're no, okay, you're right about that. Um, <laughs> but I think let me, let me let me restate what I was saying. <laughs> Clearly, it made an impression on him. Yes. How about that? Yes. How about that? It did. Maybe it helped loosen the catch the uh, pickle jar a little bit. Right. And then his brothers kind of help bring him back at the end. They they kind of bring it home. So. They get the lid all the way off that jar. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> off that John Snow jar. Yes. All right. Uh, what else happens in this episode? The Riverlands uh, were there. Uh, I really like how the show captures this concept of uh, Walder Frey, who has sworn loyalty to the Tullys, but only kind of sworn loyalty. Right? Yeah. He, he's not super serious about his oaths. And he controls the, these, the twins, which is this major crossing that's crucial uh, for the military strategy of the Starks. And they need to get across. Uh, so they're, they, they don't know what to make of him. They don't know which side he's on. Maybe 
he's fighting against the Lannisters because they've heard stories that he's killed some Lannister men. But maybe they could easily he could easily turn on them too. He's just a complete wild card. So they're shooting down all these ravens to make sure he doesn't communicate anything untoward to uh, to the Lannisters. Right? Yes. Uh, so then, Cat volunteers, which as I would tribute. argue uh, as tribute. I would argue this is one of the few times in the show that she's like truly <laughs> useful, right? Oh, uh, that's kind of rough. But uh, I will say yes, this is a good move on Cat's part. But also, her saying, uh, I've known Lord Walder since I was a girl, he would never harm me, is the most ironic statement <laughs> of the episode, maybe. Perhaps, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. So they go and you, you meet Walder and, you know, awesome performance. Very memorable, obviously. Uh, I liked how they, they – there's a line in the book, I think, about, uh, like, you know, you're lucky I gave your mom my seed. Uh, and they changed it in the show to like, uh, like you're lucky I squirted you into your mom's belly or something Ugh, like that. Yeah, that's Which gross. is just they, – they, I like how they made it more graphic in the show. And uh, also what – like she's a she's a ripe young flower and her honey's all mine. Yeah. Speaking oh. about a 16-year-old new wife. <laughs> it just makes your skin crawl. It's so, uh, you know. David Bradley is such excellent casting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but – Again, Walter Frey he just does not give a crap about any of these people's machinations. You know, he just, all he cares about is his own uh, pride. His, yeah, his own, his own family um, marrying his children to powerful people. Uh, although it it feels almost like he's he's just as happy to be rid of them as he is to put them into places of power. Your family's always pissed on me, my lord. I don't deny it. You know it's true. The fine Lord Tully would never marry any of his children to mine. I'm sure there were reasons. I didn't need reasons. I needed to get rid of sons and daughters. You see how they pile up? Why are you here? To ask you to open your gates, my lord, so my son and his banner men may cross the trident and be on their way. Why should I let him? you could climb your own battlements, you would see that he has 20,000 men outside your walls. There'd be 20,000 corpses when Tywin Lannister gets here. Don't try and frighten me, Lady Stark. Your husband's in a cell beneath the Red Keep, and your son's got no fur to keep his balls warm. You swore an oath to my father. Oh, yes. I said some words. Then I swore oaths to the Crown, too, if I remember right. Joffrey's king now, which makes your boy and his corpses to be nothing but rebels, it seems to me. If I had the sense that gods gave a fish, I'd hand you both over to the Lannisters. Why don't you? Stark, Tully, Lannister, Baratheon. Give me one good reason why I should waste a single thought on any of you. But it's it's this injured pride, because, I mean, in the book you get this more where he says, you know... It's not even, I don't know. He, he's like, you know, to Catelyn, he says, your dad didn't come to my latest wedding to this teenager. That's an insult. Tywin Lannister didn't ask me for help. That's an insult. And it's just sort of, it's either side. It does, it, uh, he doesn't have a, you know, a champion in this battle. He just feels equally injured by both sides. And then right. Cat, Catelyn, smart, you know, wisely enough, is like, oh, I know exactly what to do then. Oh, please help us. Walder Frey, we beg of you, the grand Walder Frey. Yes, marry all of my children. It's great. Let's right. do it. Yeah. I, I like, yeah, I, in the book, they go through this huge litany 
of all these slights that Walter Frey has yeah. experienced, right? That yeah. they don't, they, it doesn't show up in the show. Uh, but it is very effective at letting you know. But the, I, I would argue that the book in this instance kind of gives you a better understanding of why Walter Frey would resort to such extreme measures later on in the show, right? Yeah. What a petty, petty man he is. Right. Because uh, in the show, yeah, it, it, it is brutal, but I would say it comes a little bit out of nowhere, that amount of brutality. It's built up a little bit better in the book uh, in terms of why he might feel it was such a slight that uh, he didn't, that Rob didn't marry uh, one of his daughters. Right. So uh, Catelyn extracts the conditions and they go to uh, present them to Rob Stark. And there are several terms for this, right? I think the major ones are uh, that Arya is to marry one of his sons, mm-hmm. uh, Walter Frey's sons. Uh, and Rob says he, she's not going to like that. Uh, he's supposed like in the book actually. Two of Walder Frey's sons are to be wards at Winterfell, which is not doesn't happen in the show at all. Right. Uh, and I found this very curious, Jenna. The way that this happens in the book is quite is significantly different. I didn't know that uh, it even like the first time I saw it, it felt wrong to me in the show. But basically, what happens in the show is. Uh, you know, Catelyn Stark says, hey, Rob, you need to marry one of uh, Walder Frey's daughters. And Theon says, like, have you seen his daughters? Right? Like, uh, and then, you know, Catelyn says, well, I've seen them. One, you know, one of them was, and then she doesn't even finish the statement. She, she trails off. She yeah. can't even finish saying one of them was acceptable. And I just thought, woof. That is cold, man. Like I didn't know that the uh, Starks placed so much emphasis on good looks. That's you know a, woman, I mean? a woman on woman crime, right there. Right. Well, <laughs> I know you're being. I know you're joking, but at the same time, it's like really. Like, is that would that be so important to them at would this you say, moment in time? Would you say it was kind of catty? <laughs> it was kind of Catelyn Starky, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just felt very. You know, it felt out of place because even in the book, they don't. That's not in the book, right? That exchange is not in the book. No, Rob is uh, just like... Uh, yeah, he's like, oh, okay, that sucks, I'll but whatever. Like, we'll deal yep. with it. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, is she good looking enough? You know, it's just like, whoa, that's kind of... Came out of nowhere. Uh, how'd you feel about it? Did this just... What did you think of it? You know, am I am I overreacting? And uh, um, No, I mean, I noticed the difference. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I like... I kind of like Michelle Fairley's delivery it's, there. It is awesome. It is awesome. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It seems a little out of, it doesn't seem very noble. It feels like a conversation they should have had like privately in a tent, not in front of all his men. He's not very kingly of him. He has a kingly speech later, but for him being like, are any of them hot? (laughs) Yeah. And her being like, uh. There's the one that's like a three, you know, that's basically what she's saying. Which is wrong because Edmure Tully gets a really cute afraid daughter as his bride at the red wedding whatever whatever happened to edmure that's my question good question we see him carried off is he killed i don't know is he is he held in a jail i'm I'm very curious to know what a great question (laughs) all right (laughs) hopefully we'll find out i doubt we'll find out but probably it's in the book somewhere anyway uh so that's what goes on at the riverlands oh uh we should well actually no we'll get to that a little bit later uh what happens with the battle but uh, so Rob makes this deal 
which he will come to uh, regret. Uh, now, let me ask you. Let me let me take you back to a time when you were first just reading this book, John. Do you <laughs> think? I mean, did you think that this would become such a consequential decision for them? No. Yeah. No. Uh, nor do I think anyone watching the show thought either. There, right? There's another very consequential thing that happens in this episode, I think, or in the book here. I don't know. I haven't really put the pieces together properly. But um, Are you talking about Ned getting beheaded? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that they don't talk about it at all in the show because the character isn't here yet, but that Rob sends Roose Bolton with the 2,000 men to go attack Tywin. And later, Rob reflects that that was basically a suicide mission. He sent Roos Bolton on a suicide mission. And, and Roos escapes and he's fine. But, you know, like that, that would be a reason why Roos Bolton wouldn't feel super kindly towards Rob Stark, right? <laughs> if Rob sent him to lead a garrison of 2,000 men to their certain death mm. against Tywin. Right. Just because they were outnumbered, outmatched. Uh, and, no. and it was part of his military strategy but, you know, they were sacrificial lambs that he sent off to slaughter. So. Now, is it just that we didn't uh, know about Roose Bolton in this episode? Or did we know about him and not meet him? Because we definitely didn't meet him, right? No, he's mentioned a lot in the book and not, I think, at all mentioned. Or if he's mentioned just offhandedly, but not as a, as a big deal. Right, but uh, like, he's uh, in this scene that we're talking about, in, in the book, right? Is he? I believe uh, so. I mean, he, he has dialogue uh, uh, in the book. So. And, pa- and Padraig Payne is introduced here which we don't meet him till season two and uh yeah a couple things yeah so oh and and brendan and edmure are are big characters that you know brendan tully and edmure tully are big characters that are introduced you know that we talk about a lot but we don't meet until yeah later anyway i I think what's really interesting uh about this whole process has been like there's there's just so many times when uh you recognize a change from the book to the show and you know, like the book does a better job of conveying this, but there's almost equally as many times when I would say the show does a better job of conveying a certain idea, right? We're, we're going to talk about one of those big ones. Yes, for sure, this episode. Um, yes. So anyway, uh, before we move on, this is usually the time when we would have <laughs> a sponsor – uh, on this week's episode of the podcast. I know. Did, did you guys think Dave was setting up one of his amazing transitions? <laughs> <laughs> there is no sponsor for this week's episode, uh, but I did want to just say uh, we are super grateful for all the sponsors we had uh, this this season uh, of the rewatch, uh, particularly to Hover.com, which, by the way, I used to purchase a cast of Kings dot pizza as promised <laughs> last week. So you can go to cast of Kings dot pizza. You'll find every episode of, uh, of A Cast of Kings. Uh, but all I wanted to just mention this episode was if you enjoy this podcast, we do hope you'll consider uh, going to one of our sponsors' uh, URLs that we gave out all the, throughout the season and uh, patronizing their wares. It, it really helps to keep us doing this podcast and will ensure that A Cast of Kings will survive for many, many years to come, which we all want. So, uh, yeah, thanks to all our sponsors uh, this season. And uh, we will have a sponsor for next week, and we're grateful for all of them. So I just wanted to give every sponsor a shout-out. Uh, so check out those, uh, those sponsors throughout this whole rewatch. But let's move on to Tywin and what's going on at Tywin's camp. Basically, uh, they are underestimating Rob this whole time, as they were last episode as well. And uh, they, they go off to battle uh, with... Tyrion's uh, what what are they called the Tribe, tribesmen mountain men mountain the hill people 
Kill right? people. Yeah. <laughs> so this is also the episode that we meet Shay for the first time. Yes. Who would become so consequential yes. in the development of the show. And rewatching this episode, Joanna, I was struck by like how much I disliked the actress who plays Shay. Uh, yeah. Not dislike her as a person. I just felt like that performance is so wrong for the show. Like, huh. just just does not gel with what Peter Dinklage is doing, in my opinion. That is a popular opinion. Do you share it? No. I think the writing certainly let her down in later seasons. Um, I don't think they, they, writ, they wrote her. <laughs> writ her. God. I don't think they wrote her particularly well later on. Uh, but I like Sib- Sybil Kakeli, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, I was biased. I saw her in this movie, uh, Gegen die Wend. I think it's called German film. I thought she was so good in it. So I went in liking her, wanting to like her. Um, and I did kind of against all odds. I mean, Shay's not supposed to be. She's, you know, she's a whore. I don't know. Uh, by that, I mean... I think you're not supposed to believe that she is fully feeling all of her feelings all, right. <laughs> all the time. Um, you're not supposed to buy into the fact that exactly. she loves Tywin. Maybe. Or Tyrion, I should say. Yeah. Freudian slip there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I don't dislike her as much as many people do, I'll say. Hmm. As much as I hate Ollie, basically. Hmm. I mean, if, you, if, if, if I had to rank them, <laughs> I would say I hate Ollie. I hate Roz. And I'm I'm okay with I'm okay with Shay. That is baffling because I like <laughs> both I like both of those characters way more than Shay. So this is the first time we've ever disagreed. Different strokes for different <laughs> folks, I guess. Tyrion tells a story of what his father and brother did to him. They made him believe that he was in love with this girl who turned out to be a prostitute, and then Tywin made him uh, watch this prostitute have sex with many many men. Right. Uh, what what do you make of this story, Joanna? Because I feel like wow, that is cold. In a, in a way that like we almost haven't seen Tywin do anything that cold to his children in the show. Well, in this episode, he basically <laughs> sends Tyrion to his death. I take um. I take that back. <laughs> You're right. Good point. <laughs> but um, but do you know what I mean? Like that's just like a single action. That's not an elaborate, rude Goldberg esque. <laughs> You know, deception. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like, and as it turned out, I mean... He can, he's obviously inconsiderate towards Tyrion. I'm still a little confused by this story. I, I believe what happened is that Taisha is, was not a whore and that Jamie. When you and, say what really happened, you're talking about the book or the show? Or both? I, I don't remember how they followed it up in the show. Um, but, and I, I think they actually kind of let it go in the yeah, show. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the only real discussion of it, as uh, far as I recall, in the show. He, because in the book, it's a big motivator for why Tyrion kills Tywin. Right. He finds out about it right before. And so I, I think that makes that whole act of killing um, make a, even a little bit more sense than it already does. Well, just in the uh, show, in show, you know, in the show. Shay appears out of nowhere, right? And so it's just like, whoa, that's, that's just shocking. It's just like you're still in shock from that before – Tyrion kills Tywin, and then it's like, oh, that's another shocking thing. You know, the mind is reeling at that point. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so you don't really have a chance to contemplate exactly whether one character motivation led to another. But it's a but. big, like, it's a big thing in the books where Tyrion is obsessed with, you know, basically he thinks Tysha might still be alive, so he's obsessed with finding her, and it's clear that the show is just like, let that go. Right. And it's not going to be important in the show. But they had to put this in there in case they decided they were going to be faithful to the book and Tyrion was going to be obsessed with this. Uh, and, and it's a bit, it's this scene, this like, you know, drinking, truth-telling game that Bronn and Shay and Tyrion play is not in the book, but it's a way to sort of shoehorn in a little bit of exposition of the story of Tysha and Tyrion and all of this. Um, the fact that it never pays off in the show means you could have easily cut it. Um, though I do like this whole last night on Earth, let's have a party with Bronn and Shay and Tyrion. So I, I don't, don't I don't agree that you could have easily cut it. I mean, it, it's kind of this this scene is you know Tyrion's casino royale basically <laughs> it's like <laughs> why he became so damaged and why he likes no, you right. know whoring around all the time you know like, yeah right. so i, th- I think right. there is some good character development there but i agree that um you know the whole shay thing and how that plays out it it's not super satisfying from my perspective uh how it resolves uh, i think it was not this past season but the season before that right yeah so, anyway, uh, <laughs> huge, huge build-up to them going to battle. Yeah. And Tyrion thinks he's going to die, and then in the show, he gets completely knocked unconscious. Yes. Uh, and then wakes up later on, and they have apparently won the battle, staved off Stark men. I think this is a budget decision (laughs) because in the book we get the whole battle and Tyrion fights it in and he kills some people and he like kills a horse with his spiked helmet and he kills a dude and he actually does pretty well um and in this we knock him unconscious so that we can just skip the cost of doing a battle scene basically I think yeah I mean the the show does many creative ways has many creative ways of of eliding these battle scenes. I think I recall from season two, there's a scene where you just see them kind of in the rain at night, you know, they're surrounding the enemy camp and they charge in and then, then the battle's over, you know, like that's all you see of it. Uh, and I, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, I guess they, they tried to add some levity to it, right? By having him knocked unconscious by accident. I guess, it, but it, it, it like. makes, it makes, it's a huge character shift, right? It makes Tyrion seem so much more foolish right. than he actually is. If he's like a, a, a quasi-competent fighter, I mean, he's not a good fighter, but he scraps his way through this battle and, uh, you know, for them to just have him hilariously knocked out by a hammer uh, is is a big, a big difference. It is a big difference, but I, I could also say that that makes the Blackwater scene even more impactful because Probably, you hadn't yeah. seen him in battle at all before, right? Um, and in the book also, I think it's a lot clearer like how much Tywin really did intend that Tyrion <laughs> would not make it out of that battle alive. Right. Because he's, he's not just like, oh, we put you in the vanguard, which is a dangerous place to go. It's we put you on the left flank and our whole strategy was that the left flank would crumple so that Rob would charge into the middle and we would surround him and have him. Uh, so we we sent you and your hill people out to be cannon fodder uh, so that Rob would swoop in. And, you know, Tyrion is – I mean, it's not the last time Tywin will try to have Tyrion killed, but it's uh, – yeah, it's – it's pretty pretty messed up family dynamic. Totally, totally. For sure. So we find out exactly why. Oh, and and we should point out also that 
you keep you keep using your advanced show and book knowledge, John Robinson. But I think uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, when Rob let the scout live, you pointed out, hey, that was actually a strategic move. Uh, that he was how, lying. How dare I use information? <laughs> Seriously. Very inconsiderate. But basically, when Rob let the Lannister scout live, he was trying to make it so that the Lannisters thought there were 20,000 men, right. uh, think that there were 20,000 men at this location. They'd send in all the resources. And while they weren't looking, they could squirrel away Jamie Lannister. Right? Right. Well, that they could go, because basically Tywin and Jamie had split their forces. Right. And so Rob was like, okay, let's tie, let Tywin think we're bringing our full force to him, but actually we're bringing our full force to Jamie, or, or the majority of our force to Jamie. Yep. So they capture Jamie Lannister, which is quite a big moment. And even in this moment at his weakest, you know, or not his weakest, because we see him much weaker later on, but even in this moment, Jamie is still a smartass. Uh, and he offers to Rob to duel with him in order to end the war. Uh, which feels kind of like a trial by combat esque situation, and Rob admits that that won't uh, that won't result in victory for him. That's so wise, right? I mean, I guess wise is maybe a bit of an overpraise, but I mean, it's not hot headed or impetuous, which is what Tywin keeps thinking Rob is—an right. impetuous child. And Rob is like, you know what? I will not accept that challenge because I will lose, and we're going to do it my way. You right. Know? But Jamie is right. I mean, they would have saved a lot of lives. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the one hand, it's not hot-headed. On the other hand, that means thousands more people are going to die. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the net of that decision is. Do you know? Like, is it a net positive on Rob's side? I mean, he since, he, since we know that he lost the war anyway uh, by dying. Um. <laughs> oh, was that the decisive uh, moment? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it was his death that did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in the moment, you're sort of like, yeah, I mean, that's that's the smarter decision. It would be it would be very stupid and childish to be like, yeah, all right, I'll fight you, one of the best fighters in the whole realm. I definitely have a shot. No, so. Although another show might have taken that path, um, but uh, Rob gives a speech that says, "Hey, this isn't over yet. There's going to be a lot more fighting, a lot more dying." I thought that was a good speech. It was good. It's good. Good music, too. It said very kingly. Uh, Reminded me of Braveheart. Reminded me of a Braveheart speech. Tyrion Uh, also has a Braveheart speech, right? Like, to the hill people as they go into battle. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's not as as Bravehearty as his Blackwater speech. Correct. Correct. What what kills me about this whole situation (laughs) is just that so much was expended to get Jaime, and we just know that that whole thing was, like, basically wasted, right? I mean... Getting Jamie didn't help them really in any way. Well, yeah, the Lannisters are better chess players than the Starks. They know how to hold on to a hostage. They held on to Sansa for a very long time. Right. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just like all these men are dying left and right to get this guy, and then you know they're just going to squander it. I mean, just having seen the rest of the show, it's just like, oh. I don't, oh. I don't know what's going to happen uh, with Jamie Lannister and Brienne. I don't. But, but you're like, if they get together, then it was all worth it. Right? No, but if, if there is a moment down the road, and this is not based off book knowledge, if there's a moment down the road where Jamie ends up saving either Arya or Sansa because of a promise that he made to Catelyn years ago, that would be pretty neat, right? What was the promise? I don't know, to send them back, right? 
to rescue the Stark girls. Mm. I think she said, you know, I'll let you, f- I'll let you go if you send my daughters to me. And I mean, obviously he did. He, like he's already been back to King's Landing when Sansa was there. And, <laughs> and he- so he already failed to live up to that end of the bargain. And also, Catelyn's dead. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that's that's pretty wishful thinking, even for you, Jonah. I, be- I like to believe in the redemption of Jamie Lannister if I can. Let's file that in with the Ciro Farrell is still alive file. And Benjamin. And Benjamin is still alive. <laughs> and Benjamin <laughs> ben- ben- is still out there north of the wall. Yeah. We come to it at last. Wait, no. Uh, es- we have to do Danny. Oh, oh, right. Danny. That's right. Sorry. Uh, so Essos. Uh, Khal Drogo is apparently encountering some kind of infection. A festering wound. Festering wound. Uh, they try and solve it, and it's not working. And what I really like about this whole sequence is the sense of danger that you get from the fact that, like, Danny's life is, like, you know, dependent upon uh, Khal Drogo surviving, right? Yeah. That uh, if Khal Drogo dies, she has essentially no status anymore. They don't believe in blood uh, ascension rules or what have you. If if Caldrogo dies, then she you know someone else is going to take over, and she is basically left with nothing. Um, so I, I love how the show conveyed that and conveyed this danger. And Sir Jorah is trying to get them out of there. Like we should go to Ashai and you know leave this place. We could be safe. She refuses to leave. Instead, she decides to use blood magic uh, to try and revive Caldrogo. So this is the definition. <laughs> Of getting in a hole and digging yourself deeper. Like, Khal Drogo wouldn't have even been injured if it weren't for her, right? And her trying to disrupt the normal ways of... How their... dare she try to stop women from being raped? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, Jonah Robinson. <laughs> I am not saying that. I know, I know. To be know. clear. I'm just saying that, you know, she, if she had let things happen the way they were, Khal Drogo would still be alive today, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and... But now that she got herself into a bad situation, she decided to make it worse by using this magic that uh, is very clearly not within the comfort level of the Dothraki, right? Yeah, I just can't tell if it – I mean, it's – it's you know, I'm watching and I'm like, okay, is this one of Danny's uh, worst decisions in the history of all of her decisions? Uh, maybe <laughs> bad decision or worst decision. <laughs> but uh, you know, because I'm like, okay, what would be the alternative reality if she had gone to a side with with Jora and just left? Uh, uh you know, she would be saying she, she would baby, never have baby, uh, known baby. that she would have dragons. Maybe, but, but that's what I was gonna say. Her baby would have been born probably, but then maybe she would never have dragons, and she never would have amassed her army, and she never would have become this big force that she became. So her staying and and being stubborn about, like, uh, you know, she is the Khaleesi and she will rule these people. Because she does end up, you know, yeah, they don't own her blood, but they own her strength. And when she goes into the pyre and her dragons are born out of the fire, like, that's her strength. And they follow that for a little while. Some of them do until they die. But... uh, (laughs) You know, it's uh, it's it's questionable. I don't know that this is the worst decision Danny made because it ends up being the origin of her superpower. Basically, it's her origin story. Um, but I had misremembered some stuff about this. Like I had misremembered that the reason that Danny loses her child basically is because Jorah carries her back into the tent. Like I kind of thought that the um, that the witch woman had had 
plan to take her fetus all along. That it was sort of a gift of the Magi sort of thing. Uh, life for a life. Um, we know that, that the witch woman, like, out of revenge, sort of puts Cal- the Khal Drogo into a comatose state. And I think we know that, that she put some shit in his wound. Though it's unclear in the book because he, like, she puts a poultice on his wound and then he, like, rips it off. Uh, so he's, like, not taking care of the wound. But it's festering too much for her not to have just, like, put some pestilence into that poultice that she put on him, right? She's the reason why his wound is so bad. And then she's the reason why he's comatose. But the reason why Danny uh, lost her child is because Jorah took her back into the tent when the witch woman said don't come back into the tent. I'm going to do some freaky shit. And anyone who comes back into the tent is in danger. I don't know. Please feel free to write in and with your thoughts about this. Uh, But I guess we can all agree on the fact that they filmed it very well. That horse getting its throat slit over. Very convincing. It was very convincing. (laughs) It was so so upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And you really get, and and what's great is, you know, we, we don't have the Dothraki uh, culture instilled in us. Partially because it's fictional, but also partially because, you know, we're just not these characters. But even though we don't, we – I think the show does a great job through cinematography and through sound design of conveying how much of a violation what she's doing is, you know, uh, this witch woman. Yeah. Uh, it just feels wrong and against nature, you know, what's going on. And uh, it makes – it's very frightening the way it's shot. So uh, truly upsetting scene. And uh, we'll find out the consequences of that next week. So, dun dun dun, cliffhanger. We come to it at last. The scene that gives this episode its name. I checked. Did you check the time uh, when it cut to Arya and you hear the bells ringing at the sept? And I was like, I was like, shit. How much time do we have left in this episode? And it was like seven minutes. I was like, I can't believe all this is about to go down in seven minutes. But there you go. I noticed when she picked up a pigeon and ripped its head off uh, <laughs> that there was like 10 minutes left in the episode. I was like, whoa, it's very quick. Yeah. Uh, so Arya runs out. They say, hey, they're going to take this guy's head off, the hand of the king at the Sept of Baylor. Now, uh, now I've, I've read this chapter, John Robinson. Is there any significance of the Sept of Baylor uh, that like is, is a standard place of beheading is my question. No, I mean, and in fact, they say he's not there to be beheaded. I mean, right. the, the headsman's there. He's there to sort of confess in front of everyone. And and in the book, they like one of the street urchins talking around Arya even says like they don't they don't put people in the sept of the steps and sept of Baylor to behead them. They would do that elsewhere. Like that was this, just is, this is complete improvisation. <laughs> this isn't the place for that. So no, it's it's not the place for that. It's the place for you know weddings and grand announcements and stuff like that. It's not. Uh, this is no. Yeah, yeah. My mother wishes me to let Lord Eddard join the Night's Watch. Stripped of all titles and powers, he would serve the realm in permanent exile. And my lady Sansa has begged mercy for her father. But they have the soft hearts of women. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. I don't even know how to begin talking about this scene, but uh, firstly, 
we we venture into new Cersei wig territory here. With <laughs> as, asymmetric wig. I think this is the first time I've seen. Cersei and Sansa are both rocking some very interesting hairstyles in this scene. I've noticed that, and then I was like, I was like, I want to bring up the wigs in the in when we podcast about this, but it seems disrespectful to talk about the wigs in this scene. But they are uh, there. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome for bringing it up, then, Jenna. Thank you for bringing up my favorite topic. Yeah. Uh, but it's asymmetrical, man. That is crazy. That's I, crazy. I, I That's like having has- a ponytail on one side. You know those people. Uh, it's just like whoa. I think she's had some asymmetrical hair pilings before. Yeah, maybe slightly asymmetrical. I don't know. This felt very stark uh, in its asymmetry. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, so I kind of forgot which episode we were watching today. Uh, I turned on my HBO Go and I'm like, okay, where are we? Where are we? I already watched that one. I was like, oh no, it's Baylor, and uh, and so I was sort of dreading the whole episode. Of course, watching it. Uh, but I actually started crying, which I wasn't expecting to do. Um, and it's when Ned walks out. I'm going to start crying talking about it. So Ned walks out and he sees Arya. Uh, it's it's very upsetting to me. And um, Right, which is a, sh- a show invention. Uh, right. Uh, and- we talked about this off air, but this is an Arya's perspective chapter. So you get it entirely from Arya's perspective, and, and this is what we're talking about in terms of the show does it so much better because you're inside Sansa's head, you're inside Joffrey's head, you're inside Cersei's head, you're inside Ned's head especially, and you're inside Arya's head. And so... Um, well, what I like actually is in that scene, he comes out and you, you see it kind of like from the perspective of the st- quote-unquote stage, you see Arya there at the Baylor statue, right? right. And then the camera closes in on Ned, and in my opinion, it's ambiguous as to whether he sees Arya, right? At that moment, it's ambiguous. And then it becomes super clear moments later when he passes Yorin and he says, Baylor. Like, that's the only thing he says. He says, Baylor, 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 which right. is like, go get my kid who's sitting on the statue of Baylor right now. Uh, yeah, I, I guess... I have no way of knowing, um, watching it now, whether or not I would have ever seen it as ambiguous. But for me, Sean Bean's face just really registers the devastation of knowing that his daughter might have to watch this. And him being really, really, like, both daughters. But, you know, that Arya is there, that she's alive, that she looks like she's been living on the streets for several weeks, uh, and that she might have to see this. Right. Yeah. Very upsetting. And Sansa's, like, super psyched. She is really She's happy because very proud of herself. From her perspective, everything is going exactly according to plan. She has saved her father. Yes, yes. So there, there's so many brilliant things about this scene. I mean, uh, like it, it, everything starts well. You know, Ned confesses his quote unquote crimes, and then Joffrey says, "You know what? My beloved and my mom say I should give this guy." Or actually, Meister Pycelle says. Hey, the gods say, like, the gods know justice. They also know mercy. Joffrey's like, hey, I've listened to my wife and my mom or my, my betrothed. They all say I should give this guy a break and, you know, I'm inclined to agree. And then you're like, oh, man, looks like this thing's going to have the happy ending that we all thought it would. And, and then- he smiles at Santa. 
Right. Like, my lady, you know, like, begged for her father's mercy and smiles at her. Ah! Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And Jack Gleason's uh, so good. So good. And then he's like, yeah, but uh, I don't, I think, you know, tre- you know, treason must be punished and orders Ilan Payne to bring me his head, is what he says. Yeah. Uh, and what then follows is, like, the, the number of cuts, like, the edits... Uh, that are done be- between Arya's perspective and you know the top of the sept is great because I remember the first time I was watching this. I, I and we'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this later. But you you think to yourself, there's no way they're going to kill the main character. Arya is going to figure out a way to thwart this somehow. She's got her hand on needle. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Like uh, yeah, I- I'm like this is going to be amazing because yeah. somehow this little kid is going to figure out a way to stop this execution. And that is just a very exciting thought, right? Yeah. Uh, and she goes, she goes, she goes. And then before she can even do anything, Yorin grabs her and says, like, don't look. You know, look at me. Don't look. And then uh, they cut off Ned's head. Now, there's this great moment where, like I said, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the symmetry between the beginning of the episode and then the end of the episode. And at the beginning of the episode, Ned is, like, completely alone in the dungeon. And at the end of the episode... He is just, like, alone in life. Like, he realizes he has nothing left. He doesn't even have his honor anymore. He gave it up trying to save his daughter. Uh, and he sees Arya. Like, he's looking for Arya at the, the foot of the statue. She's not there. All the sound goes away. And it's just him breathing. And he's just – he's completely deserted. Uh, and it's it's incredibly powerful. Reminded me in some ways of uh, – of like depictions we've seen of like the crucifixion of Jesus or something like that. Like it's just like this guy just has nothing and he's just completely everything is gone. Um, anything from this scene that you want to highlight, John Robinson? Um, I will say that my closed captioning uh, said that Sansa was screaming "Daddy," which was really upsetting. I don't know that you can hear it over the crowd necessarily. Um, like you know, she's screaming and distraught, but she's never called him "Daddy." Um, we talked about Braveheart earlier. It's hard not to think of the end of Braveheart in watching the scene as far as I'm concerned. Um, especially if my memory serves with Braveheart, you know, the indication that we get that things are over is him dropping the handkerchief, right? You get the, you get Mel right. Gibson's hand dropping the handkerchief. And here, similarly, like you, you see, I've watched this video. In fact, I made a gif of it earlier this year. I've watched this video a million times. It's actually kind of surreal and weird the way that Ellen Payne's sword goes down, but then it just sort of like it's CG weirdly and it just cuts through, but you don't really see it. You uh, see it for a split set. You see Ned's head cut off for a split second. It is, it is enough for you to understand that it happened. Right. And that's it. Nothing more. Right. Um, yeah. And the birds going up and Aria, like ending with Aria's face. Um, it's just so moving. And I have watched this this video of Ned's death so many times. Uh, but I don't know that – I don't remember the last time I rewatched the episode in its entirety. And it, in rewatching it in its entirety. And, and this whole season one rewatch, just really the emotion was really there for me. And I lost it. I lost it. Why uh, Why is this something that you've rewatched so many times? Just out of curiosity. Like I've rewatched a bunch of Game of Thrones scenes as well. And I'm curious, like, why you picked this one? Because I'll tell you my scenes that I've rewatched, but you go first. Um, I like, don't know. I like 
I really don't know. I, I think it's interesting. It's always interesting to me to look at Cersei in this scene. Uh, it's always interesting to me when Cersei's not the most evil person in a scene, right? And she's genuinely upset that Ned is about to die. Um, There's this amazing shot that lasts for literally maybe one second, maybe even less than a second, that I was thinking, that's so awesome, I might make a gif out of it. It's Cersei grabbing Joffrey's arm. Yeah. And Joffrey just, like, shaking her off. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Cersei understands this is a huge strategic mistake Yeah, to kill Ned. Yeah. Uh, Ned is much more valuable alive than dead. Uh, Ned can alive ned can tell people to the starks to back off right yeah uh he can quell the fires you know he, he, there's all this usefulness he, he could tell stannis to back off like supposedly cersei's really worried about stannis uh, she doesn't even know that the starks have jamie at this point but if she did she would just lose her mind right. knowing that she lost like one of her largest stark uh you know Bargaining piece, chess pieces yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, so she's amazing. This it's interesting to me that they don't cut to Littlefinger. You see Varys, Varys's reaction. Varys like runs over to Joffrey to sort of be like, "Don't do this." You don't. You know, little Littlefinger's there. You see him in wide shots. We don't get a reaction face from him, which I think is really interesting because you would think he would be satisfied, or I don't know, or would we see a little bit of like, "Oh shit, I went too far." <laughs> uh, I don't know. I was I was really interested to see what his reaction would be. We don't get it, um, at least in close up. Yeah, I don't know why I rewatched this scene. Maybe the self-torture. What are your scenes that you rewatch? Yeah, it's so, uh, you know, like I'll just say on its face, you rewatching this guy getting his head cut off, that sounds like a disturbing thing to rewatch, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I have really disturbing things I've rewatched as well. <laughs> so I can't, this is not the, co- the pot calling the kettle black or anything because uh, I think the scenes I rewatch the most are. Uh, the golden crown scene. I mean, that's just such a great scene because this guy has been an asshole for this whole season. And then to see him get murdered in the most brutal way imaginable and in a way that is poetic, you know, like because of what he's been demanding this whole time. Yeah. is just immensely satisfying. Right. So that's, that is an easy answer. Uh, and I, I, I don't rewatch this as much, but I will say I occasionally go back and do check out that red wedding scene again. Oh yeah, yeah. I, because because of how like very few shows have the ability to just make you feel something on a really visceral level, and the audacity of it and the graphic violence of it is just so uh, over the top. You know, it's it's like pornographic almost in terms of how ridiculously over the top it is uh and you you just like you you just don't get to see something that is both that consequential from a plot perspective and also that kind of audacious and violent from just a technical perspective so uh what were you gonna say sorry oh i i have a better answer now (laughs) go go i was just looking at the show notes and I, i realized that i wrote um you know Yoran grabs Arya, birds fly overhead, Game of Thrones changes TV forever. And I think that's true. I mean, or at least for now. That I think Ned losing his head. There have been times when shows have killed off main characters, but uh, certainly not in such a fashion, right? And um, 
Lost almost did it. Like Lost was going to do it and then didn't. Um, in that you know Jack was supposed to die in the first episode, right? That would have been almost similar. But setting, casting Sean Bean, the most recognizable actor, setting Ned Stark up as George R. R. Martin did, setting Ned Stark up as your prototypical hero, and then just killing him in episode nine, season one, uh, was so audacious. And I think a lot of other shows have been scrambling to try to capture that. And and we've seen some hideous uh, body counts, I think, since uh, both Ned and, and the Red Wedding, I would argue. Um, even on, even on uh, shows you wouldn't expect them. So, uh, yeah, I just, th- I think it's a big, you know, is a, is a bold, bold move in the book and even bolder with the casting of Sean Bean in the TV show. I think people are like, Boromir, what? Uh, yeah, this is a huge, huge episode for television. We should I should point out by the way, yeah, as we said before the show, uh, before the podcast began, that all that stuff with Ned on the set by himself, that's all show invention. That's not in the book. In the book, it's almost an anticlimax, right? That you don't even get to see, like you're seeing it from the perspective of Arya, so you don't even see it happen, and quote unquote, see it happen in the book. Well, she sees like she's fighting to get her way to the front. Like she's right. up on this on the statue. She does hear him say some things, um, and, you know, and she observes Sansa and she observes Joffrey and stuff like that. Right, but then Yorin like shields her view from the actual execution. So. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, but she's fighting her. way. She's a small child fighting her way through the crowd trying to get to her dad. So you're in that, and she sees. She's like, oh, Ilan Payne drew his sword, but she's yeah. Yeah, you're very much from her perspective. The episode ends with a cliffhanger of Yorin grabbing her by the hair and pulling out a blade. And Which we now know is like him cutting her hair. Just right? to cut her hair. But right. it's so – it's such a cheap like – you know, the blade uh, came towards Arya's face as he like, you know, pulled her head back and, you know. Yeah. And, and gave her a nice haircut to save her is the postscript <laughs> of, the, of that chapter. Um but yeah, but, just, this is a this is a part where I just think the show did it much better than the book, even though the book you know invented the like created the actual event that the the show is depicting. Uh, so great, great job with the direction all around and with the showrunners uh, on this episode. Uh, and yeah, I think the you know I, I remember uh, former slash filmcast host Adam Quigley back in season one of the show, so five years ago we were talking about it and how. Uh, you know the way that HBO did just did this show was ingenious. Just like not just this episode and killing off that character, but the way it chose to market the show with Ned as the main character. Like they could have marketed the show completely differently. Do you know what I mean? They could have maybe had Tyrion be the main character, or they could have had uh, Daenerys be the main character. Like it, they could have done it a number of different ways. Uh, it could yeah, it could have been about Daenerys and this woman who realizes her true potential or whatever. Uh, but they centered all the show's marketing around Ned. Like, if you go back to season one marketing materials, it's Ned, Ned, Ned. I'm looking at it right now. It's Ned sitting on the throne. Yeah, yeah. it's all Ned. And, yeah. <laughs> and the way they chose to market the show was so ballsy, right? Because they knew, obviously, that he was going to die in episode nine. Uh, and even now, I just think it was it was ingenious what they did, right? Um how do you feel about that? Are do you are you in, in my camp that this is like you know a, a, a big coup? I mean, obviously, book readers already knew. I'm actually surprised the secret was kept as well as it was. But um, yeah, I know I know there was a Pajaya comment section 
where someone just casually dropped it. I was still writing for Vagina.com at the time, and someone just casually dropped it in the comments where it's like, I wonder how like surprised people are going to be when they find out, you know, Sean Bean is in, in next season because he dies. And, and I was just like, bro. I mean, that was the only tip of the of the Game of Thrones spoiler iceberg. Like, little did I know. Little did you <laughs> know the, <laughs> the And there's flood. no way, there's no way they could have pulled it off now like the environment now with all the like poor kit harrington being stalked wherever he goes like you know there's no way it would have surprised anyone right um they you know game of thrones was still slightly- it's almost like sometimes they publish spoilers and marketing materials joanna <laughs> uh, i don't know if we- did you see i guess you saw no, it. I, I didn't i didn't see i didn't see it okay i didn't see it but I, I anticipate I will see. I mean, like, you know, the... the po- We're not talking about the season six Game of Thrones poster specifically because I told Dave to try not to see it. But I so. remember in, you know, <laughs> season five poster was Tyrion and dragons, dragon. right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, that was a spoiler because Tyrion does see a dragon. On the other hand, I mean, come on. Like, looking at that poster, like, would you really have thought that what happened this season was what was going to happen with Tyrion and dragons? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a bit misleading. So... You're mad that Tyrion didn't have like a conversation with a dragon? No, well, just the idea. <laughs> actually, now that now that we now that I think back to it, I guess I guess the season did deliver on it because <laughs> he does he does meet Daenerys Targaryen, yeah. but for like an episode. Do you know what I mean? Um, before she flies off. That was a so. bummer. I wish Tyrion and Daenerys could have had more time together. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the culture around Game of Thrones right now, and it's it's a shame, you know, that Walking Dead is exper- experienced the same thing. I mean, Walking Dead, their decision that they made this season, and I won't go into it in specifics at all, I think was really cheap and stupid. But, and Game of Thrones is different because they're following a book plot line. I have my opinions on how they could have done it better, and we will talk about it at length during season six. But, um... <laughs> But they're in kind of a weird tight spot because it is a book cliffhanger. So what are they supposed to do? They could have spoiled the books, I guess. I don't know. They're in a weird tight spot. But there was also just no way, given the scrutiny around Game of Thrones, given the obsession around knowing everything that's coming in Game of Thrones, that HBO is going to be able to keep anything under wraps at this point. And it's sad. And, like, I look forward to Are you getting nostalgic for watching this episode of, like, oh, man, remember the time when, like, Game of Thrones (laughs) could actually surprise people? I mean, I love talking about spoilers. I do it over on the Star Wars Spoilers podcast. But I look forward to the day, decades from now, when I retire from this business and I can just go back to watching television and, like, from a super ignorant place. Because there are people out there in the world who don't live on the internet who get to be surprised by this stuff. I I envy them sometimes, right? Like, you're you're good at it. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at, like, you know, avoiding things that will uh, cause that to happen. Uh, And... In general, I would say like 98% of the people who interact with me on like Twitter are pretty good about it. Do you know what I mean? There yeah. are some assholes out there, but overall, uh, people, are, people are very nice and understanding. Or also um, people who I think they think they're not – do you know what I mean? Like I think they think they're being careful enough. You have to be really careful. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway – Amazing ending, and yeah, you're right. This this is one of the I don't know about great episodes. It, it was a very good episode, but I would certainly say it's one of the greatest moments, moments. in the history yeah. of television. You know, yes. just the killing off a main character, and not just killing him off, but like in a very memorable fashion. 
in, in a way that was a huge head fake, as it were. Yeah, that no hugely, pun intended. Well, it hugely subverts a trope right. of like you are watching and expecting the last minute daring Errol Flynn rescue from Arya or someone and it's not coming. And then yeah. as you go on and watch Game of Thrones more, you realize that that's just the Game of Thrones way, right? Yeah. That that the that the heroic rescue is not coming. Um which which works for a while, you know? And then eventually And then John Robinson loses interest. <laughs> no, then you become numb, right? Like yeah. I I don't know that George I honestly don't feel like George R. R. Martin could kill anyone and I would be like even Shireen, like, which was a show invention, but even Shireen this season, I'm like, I don't know, guys, you cut out my heart during the Red Wedding and I I have trouble feeling for deaths anymore. Like, it's upsetting. It's awful. It's shocking. But I, I wasn't like, I, I guess I was kind of expecting it because I know that Game of Thrones is just going to go there, right? Yeah. There's going to be no rescue for Shireen, no rescue for Kat, no rescue for Rob, no rescue for Ned, you know? Are are there people who are rescued? I guess Tyrion with Bronn, you, if you call that. Um, no rescue for Oberyn. Uh, yeah, I, I lied. Oberyn's last time the show broke my heart. Um, I do wonder if like the show would be more impactful if it mixed it up a bit. You know, if there were more rescues, if it did adhere to common tropes more often, uh, then the the deaths would be truly surprising. Now they just don't like people expect it now. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's a to be continued to see what happens next season. I think, like, I, I, I can't comment until I see what they do next season. Mm. Mm. It's gonna be very consequential next season. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that's gonna bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, so stay tuned to hear what you need to rev- uh, read through for next week's episode. <laughs> it's gonna be very tough to figure that out. In the meantime, Jonah Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, I write most days on VanityFair.com. You can listen to me talk about Star Wars. Uh, this month over on Fighting in the War Room. Uh, I podcast about TV in general, usually over on the Station Agents podcast, or you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Find uh, my directorial debut at theprimaryinstinct.com, where you can purchase copies of the movie I directed. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate it if you guys would check that out. And uh, next week, Joanna, where do people read to in the book? The last page. <laughs> We're done. Um, there is there is a huge epilogue full of, I don't know, family trees and character descriptions and that sort of stuff. You don't have to read all this stuff if you don't want to. But the last page of the book, please. Yeah, that's it. Crazy, crazy times. Um, we'll say more about this next week. But, of course, you know, thanks for those who have been with us on this journey. And, uh, again, you can always email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. Comment on this episode at facebook.com slash kings. Um, and, yeah, we will see you guys for the season finale of uh, Season 1 of Game of Thrones next week.